So Romans 9 tonight, I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 13 and then verses 25 to 29. And over the next couple weeks, we'll get back to the verses that I'm skipping for tonight. Those verses really focus on how we can talk about God's justice and God's mercy and how that works together. Tonight, we're going to look more at God's promises and his people. So God's promise and especially God's people. Let's read from Romans chapter 9. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And then we're going to skip down to verse 25. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And it will happen in that very place where it was said to them, You are not my people. They will be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. This is God's word for us tonight. So the original audience of this letter, the original group that Paul wrote this letter to, was probably a mix of Jewish and Gentile converts who had come to believe in Jesus. Within the church in Rome that Paul wrote this letter to, there would have been people who were part of the people of Israel. For whatever reason, they lived in Rome, but they would really have identified as Jewish people. Ethnically and religiously, they lined up with God's people in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. But these people had chosen to follow Jesus as their Savior. And then the majority of the church there in Rome was probably Gentile background believers. So these were people from other nations, other religions, who had come from those places to embrace Jesus as their Lord. Now you can guess with that mix of people, there was probably some tension there as there was in a lot of the church in that first generation. They were still trying to figure out what God's new people looked like after the coming of Jesus. They had some issues to work through, and that's what we see here in Romans chapter 9. And I think there's two key questions 
that help us get at the heart of these verses. Two key questions. First, Paul is wrestling with the question, is God faithful to his word? When Paul, or when God makes a promise, does he really keep it? Does he hold to his plans? Does he do what he says he's going to do or not? Is God faithful? And then second, who are God's people? Are the people of Israel, is the nation of Israel God's people? And if the people of Israel are God's true people, then how do all these other people fit in who've come to believe in Jesus? Are they on some kind of second-class track to salvation or something? And if the people of Israel aren't God's people, then who is? How do we identify who belongs to God and who doesn't? So the second question for tonight, who belongs to God? Who are God's people? Is God faithful to his promise? We'll start with that question tonight. Is God faithful to his promise? And you can guess what I'm going to say. Actually, you know what I'm going to say. God is faithful to his promise of salvation. God is faithful to his promises, to his plans, to his purposes. They don't change. But you can understand why Paul and why the first generation church might be wrestling with that in that particular situation. You might understand why they would ask, what is really going on here? For a few years, a number of years ago, my extended family passed around a Jeep Grand Wagoneer. A Jeep Grand Wagoneer. If you had one of them, you know what I'm talking about. If not, they were kind of this mix between a luxury car and an SUV. They were the first of their type. They built them for like 30 years. They were great cars in some respects. They had amazing off-road abilities. They could turn on a dime. They had these great luxury features. They had amazing towing capacity, all kinds of great things. And if you owned one of them, you're going to hate this next part of my story, but it's the truth, so just deal with it. So my aunt and uncle, they wanted a car that had that whole long list, all the luxury features, the nice ride, plus the big engine, the towing capacity, the off-road ability. So they checked over all the things that a Grand Wagoneer could do, and they went out and they bought one. And they loved it for about two months. And then it started giving them all kinds of trouble. The engine did strange things. The transmission went out. The air conditioner did everything you could think of except blow cold air. The suspension system went bad. The gas tank almost fell off. Flat tires all the time. That thing was endless headaches. And after a couple years of just pouring money and effort and frustration into that car, they decided to get rid of it. And then for some reason I never understood, my grandparents bought it, and the same cycle happened again. It took them about two years, and then after putting a ton of money into it, they said, we're done. This is a great car. It turns with great engine, all kinds of things, but we are done. This is not working. So they sold the thing to the first sucker they could find, and they moved on to a different vehicle. So here's the question Paul is asking in Romans 9. Were the Old Testament Israelites just God's grand wagoneer? Were they this great plan that he had to make a people for himself, and then when they were disobedient over and over and over and over again, did God just walk away? After God had invested hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in these people, after he'd done all these things for them, Paul lists an amazing number of things that God had given to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. 
They had been called God's people. God's glory had dwelt with them. He made promise after promise to them. He gave them his law to follow. He had them build a temple that was going to be his place on earth. But now at the time Romans was written, God sent Jesus as the Savior, as the Messiah. And a lot, most of the Jewish people had rejected Jesus' ministry. They'd arranged to have him executed. They'd rejected the news of his resurrection. So now Paul is asking, do we have to look back at everything that God did before and just cancel it out? Do we have to look back at all the gifts that God did, all the promises he made, everything that he did, do we have to say God has just walked out on those promises? Do we have to say all that's over? Did God change his mind? Was God somehow unable to fulfill the plan that he had made? And so now he's doing something totally different. You can imagine and you can read when you hear these, especially the beginning of Romans chapter 9, you can hear Paul's agony as he wrestles with, his, with this question. This is not an abstract thing for him. These are his people. And so he has to ask for his readers and for himself, what is God doing? Is God really being faithful or not? And Paul does end up saying that God is being faithful. In effect, a lot of Romans chapter 9 is Paul mining the Old Testament to show how God truly is faithful to the promise he made and faithful to his people. And so that brings us to our second question for tonight. And that's how Paul answers that first question. Is God faithful? Well, who are God's people? And the first answer Paul gives us is that God's people are the children of the promise. God's people are the children of the promise. Now remember that Paul is writing in a situation where most of the Jewish people, most of his own people, are walking away from Jesus. And the solution that Paul finds in verse 6 is to draw a different line around who belongs to God's people. God's people aren't just those who are ethnically or religiously Jewish. Verse 6 tells us that not all those who are descended from Israel are Israel. In other words, not all of Abraham's physical descendants are Abraham's spiritual descendants. Not everybody who was a member of that particular nation automatically, truly belonged to God. And God's plan, Paul says, was always to work with the people of the promise and that didn't always mean all the people who could say, yeah, Abraham was my great, great, great grandfather. And so Paul rehearses the story of Abraham's descendants, and he tells that story in a little different way than the people might have expected. If you remember the Old Testament, Abraham first had a son named Ishmael with his maidservant. But that wasn't the promised child. Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah, was the promised child, and that's who God worked through. It was Isaac who carried on the covenant. And then Isaac had two sons, twins actually, Esau and Jacob, and you'd expect that God would really work through the older one, but instead God said, no, the one who's going to carry on my promise is the younger one. It's always been the children of the promise, Romans says, that carry on Abraham's inheritance. 
Now, we'll talk more in the next couple weeks about whether it was fair of God to pick one son over the other. So just bracket that out for tonight. We'll deal with that another time. It's an important question. But for tonight, Paul's point is that God always, God always worked through the promise. God never said that everyone physically descended from Abraham would automatically share in the promise. He never said you had to have the right father to belong to me. He never said that what it said on your birth certificate or your passport was what was really, really important for belonging to him. People don't belong to God and people have never belonged to God because they did all the right things or because they were born in the right family. In short, Paul's point here is that we belong to God because God acts in a certain way. Because God chooses by his grace to have us belong to him. It's not because of what we do. It's not because of who we are. It's because God has made a promise and because God graciously wants to have a people of his own. God didn't look at your life or my life and say, hey, there's some great features here. I think I'm going to buy this model. God, for his own reasons, graciously chose to love people who didn't deserve it. And God chose to draw the children of the promise to himself. As that catechism section about the true church, the true holy Catholic church that we read earlier told told us, God, God gathers his people. God protects his people. God preserves his people. In Paul's context then, God's promise hadn't failed, even if there were a lot of people who had turned away from Jesus, who you might have expected would belong to him. And then Paul gives a couple explanations for this at the end of chapter 9. First, Paul says that many people unexpectedly come into God. At times, the Israelites had lost God's big vision for the world, and they'd brought that down to just be about themselves. But in fact, God always had a bigger picture of salvation. God's people come to him from all the nations of the earth. God's people come from all the nations of the earth. In verses 25 and 26, Romans 9 quotes a couple texts from the Old Testament book of Hosea. And in their original context in the Old Testament, that prophet Hosea, he's talking to God's people who have been banished. These are people who have been kicked out of the promised land and who might wonder, do God's promises really apply to us anymore? And Hosea says, yes, they do. God is going to bring you back. And Romans 9 takes that text and it broadens it out to include people from all the nations of the earth. Everyone has the possibility of being drawn in. You can imagine at the beginning of this chapter, the Jewish background believers who first heard the letter read would feel pretty good as Paul listed all these special blessings that belong to the Jewish people. And isn't that great? And it was great. And those were amazing blessings. But at the end of this chapter, Paul broadens out the umbrella of God's work to apply to all the nations of the earth. God's Old Testament work was a preparation for what he would do for all people after the coming of Christ. The church, 
God's people now, this group of people that goes all the way around the world, that God draws an amazing number of people in. This is the new Israel. This is God's people, is what Romans 9 tells us. And it's not that God's plan has changed. It's not that God had this great idea that he could have this nation of people for himself, and when he got frustrated, he walked away from them. I'm going to find myself something new. That's not what God does. God's plan has always been to be gracious. And God has always drawn the boundaries of salvation where he wants to draw them, not always where his people have expected. So I want us to think about that for ourselves a little bit tonight. Think about that for ourselves a little bit tonight. The Christian Reformed Church, which we're part of, and many of us here have roots that go back to the Netherlands, back to Holland. You've probably heard the saying, if you aren't Dutch, you aren't much. If you aren't Dutch, you aren't much. And some of you probably think, yeah, that's all right. And a lot of you probably cringe at that. And I think the guests we have here tonight are, what are you talking about? But I remember once when I was in seminary, and this is a specific example of this tendency. When I was in seminary, I visited some older couples at our church in Grand Rapids. And I visited one couple that was especially delightful, wonderful, pleasant people. I loved my visits with them. But the first time I visited them, I introduced myself, and they seemed to roll that around for a little bit. And then they said, you know, Lancer, Lancer, that's not a Dutch name, is it? That's just not a Dutch name. It really was a challenge for them that they might have a seminarian visit them who wasn't Dutch. It was a problem. Um, And then they were very comforted to hear that my family all came from the Netherlands and we could talk about what village and I have family in Pella and family in Grand Rapids and my grandpa was a pastor in the Christian Reformed Church and so everything was okay then and we had great visits and they were at their ease. We do have a lot to be thankful for in our church. I think the Christian Reformed Church is a good place to be and has been a good place to be over the years. But sometimes I think we get a little too stuck in our own story at the expense of the story of God's work with all of his people. I think one of the challenges we as a church face is how to hold on to all the good things that God has blessed us with without getting just stuck in our own little in-group. How effectively are we really able to welcome other people in? What unnecessary walls do we throw up in our church or in our own lives? The Dutch thing is one kind of trivial, funny example. But I wonder what other ways there are in our lives that we put other people on the outside that don't line up with who God considers to be on the inside and the outside. You see, we all would have been outsiders to God's people at one point. That passage in Hosea where it talks about people being drawn back in, all of us were exiled from God. All of us were far, far, far away from him. And by God's grace, he draws us in. By God's grace, he draws us in. So those two quotations that Paul gives us from Hosea give us cause to rejoice that we have been drawn in And also to ask, how can we be part of drawing other people in? Are there ways that we're putting up walls or drawing lines that aren't helpful for the spread of God's kingdom? 
But then in verses 27 to 29, Paul switches things around. He quotes Isaiah, and those verses tell us that often God's people are just the remnant. God's people are the remnant. Before this, when he talked about Hosea, Paul seems to have expanded who all could come in. And now he draws the line tighter. He says, not all the people you might expect really belong to God. Those verses at the end of Romans chapter 9, they say even though the Israelites, even though God's people look like they number like the sand on the seashore, only a remnant, only a few, only the leftovers are going to be truly part of God's people. It's not enough to have the right parents. It's not enough to do the right rituals. The frightening challenge of this text is that people who you might expect would be good enough, they aren't good enough. People whose lives you might look at and say, yeah, 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 they check all the boxes. Well, maybe they don't really belong to the remnant of God's people. So let that be a challenge to us tonight too. The fact that we have our names in a church membership role, if we baptize, if we're baptized, if we make profession of faith, if we show up to church, if we do this and do that, that might not actually equate to being part of God's people. I had a seminary professor who was probably the smartest man I've ever met in my life, and from what I can tell, really, really sincere and deep in his faith. But there were a couple times he said, you know, I really have to wrestle with this sometimes. Where is my heart? Where is my heart? Is my heart really grateful for what God's done and throwing myself on Christ's grace day after day? Or is my heart saying, I did this, I did that, I do good things, and so I belong to God? Where is my heart? So on the one hand, this can be discouraging. It certainly is a challenge for us. You might feel like the story of Gideon in the Old Testament who started out with an army of thousands and thousands and thousands of people and God whittled that army away down and down and down and Gideon ended up going into battle with 300 people. Soldiers like sand on the seashore and then in the end you end up with 300 people with maybe a fistful of sand. So there's a challenge there for us personally. I don't think we need to look around at everybody else and say, hmm, I wonder if they're part of God's people or not. But I think we can ask ourselves, where are our hearts? Where are our hearts? Are we just going along for the ride? Or are we really, really throwing ourselves on Christ's grace day after day? So there's a challenge there. But I think coming from the other direction, these texts can be an encouragement to us. This text assures us that even when we might feel alone, God is still at work. God always preserves a remnant of God's people. There may be times that we feel abandoned and alone, but God always keeps a remnant safe for himself. So when things look bleak, when life is dark, when we feel like we're the last one left, we shouldn't give up hope. We live in a season here in North America when more and more people seem to be stepping away from the Christian faith, when more and more it seems like there are dark days ahead for people who belong to Jesus. But Romans 9 encourages us to not get too caught up in that, 
and instead to look to God, to trust in him. God always, always saves a remnant for himself. In Paul's time, many of the people of Israel had turned away from Jesus, from the true Messiah. They had gone their own way. And you can tell that Paul is terribly distressed by this. But you can also tell in Romans 9 that Paul has a sense that there's hope. The Lord always keeps a people for himself. Even when things are dark and confusing, God holds on to his promise. God's people may be just the remnant, but still God carries us through. God remains faithful. All of his chosen people will come to him, and he will always maintain a people for himself. So God is always faithful to his, grace, to his gracious promises and tr- to his true people. God's word doesn't fail. He brings the children of the promise to himself, generation after generation after generation after generation. We shouldn't be surprised when God's grace goes out to unexpected people because at one time we were unexpected people to be drawn into God's people. People don't belong to God because they have the right parents. People don't belong to God because they've done the right things, they have membership in the right societies. We belong to God. God's people belong to him because God is faithful. God doesn't make promises and then walk away from them. God doesn't make plans and then throw up his hands in frustration and walk away when people don't get things quite right. God is faithful. God fulfills his promises. God carries out his plan. So for us, the message of this text is not to get all hung up on who we are or on what we do. Don't say, well, this thing or that thing will get me by. Depend on the promise. Depend on the purpose of God. We are saved by Christ's grace. We are saved because God gathers us in, because he protects us, because he preserves us. It's not what we do. It's what God has done for us.